You know, it's been difficult because our research is so behind where patients are in recognizing their disease. And what I mean by that is we as patients are becoming more aware of the symptom profile of, like you said, these coexisting conditions that we have. I know so many people, so many women with endometriosis who have some type of autoimmune disease, but we don't have any literature to point to to say that these things are fact and they're real. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. A big truth is that life often doesn't go the way that you planned. As we grapple with rising number of chronic illness diagnoses, which is now past a tipping point where more people suffer from a chronic condition than don't, we are struggling to find balance in our healing journeys, and especially for women, at times, we are struggling to even get a diagnosis in the first place. See, when it comes to autoimmune conditions, endometriosis, even PCOS, women can wait until 10 to 12 years for an official diagnosis, and then often are not prepared for what the treatment plan entails. Because chronic illness is so pervasive in women today, and we often don't feel equipped with the tools and resources to support our healing journey, I invited advocate Jenna Reich, who is also a registered nurse and an author, to share how she has managed chronic illness and what she is doing to bring more awareness to endometriosis. Now, this is such an important conversation to have because one in 10 women will suffer with endometriosis and chances are they will be misdiagnosed many times before they ever find a true solution or a doctor that will believe them. Now, before I bring Jenna onto the show, I want to quickly sing her praises. Jenna Reich is a registered nurse for more than a decade. She's founded the Endometriosis Coalition, an organization focused on spreading awareness and promoting reliable education for endometriosis. And most recently, she's become an author of the book, Part of You, Not All of You, Shared Wisdom and Guided Journaling for a Life with Chronic Illness. Now, this powerful guided journal is designed to walk alongside those who are dealing and struggling with their own chronic illness journey. I'm so excited to bring Jenna onto the show. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Jenna, honey, how are you doing today? I'm good and so excited to be here. Mm, I am so happy to have you because we're talking about a very important yet often dismissed conversation and topic um, around endometriosis. And I truly believe that the more we have this conversation, the more that women are going to really understand what's going on with their bodies. We're going to change the system so that women get diagnosed quicker. And we have women who are not only just feeling validated, but actually getting the treatment and the care that they deserve. I'm just so grateful to have you 
you on the show. And I'm so excited to start off really you telling me about your journey into this and how this became your life's work. Yeah, it actually came out of basically a four-year struggle of trying to get answers and treatment for myself. I had such a difficult time finding the right care and finding the right information even. And I found that as someone who like is very immersed in healthcare with my job and you know the resources that I have, I still had such a hard time. And once I finally found care, I just felt like it was my life's duty to make sure I could get as many women to where I am today as I possibly could. And so it's become a passion of mine to just help people get diagnosed faster and get resources. Mm. Now, was it four years that it took to get diagnosed? Yeah, from from when my symptoms started to when I actually got like the right diagnosis and right care was about four years. Mm. And talk to me a little bit about how you felt in that journey. You know, what what were some of the things that the obstacles that you came across? Was there a lot of dismissal that was going down? Was there a lot of just kind of maybe we'll run this test or this test? Because I know we're going to get into the complexity of diagnosing endometriosis in a minute. But I just love to just kind of a little bit if you're open to sharing. Totally. If you're not, I understand. But just a little bit of the experiences that you kind of ran into. I'm a complete open book. So no question is is off the limits for me. You know, it was kind of multifaceted in the struggles that I faced directly with like doctors and then also like in my personal life. Mm. Um, I found it really difficult to really portray just how much I was actually suffering because on the outside, I generally looked healthy, but I was in so much pain all the time. And I don't think people around me really appreciated how sick I truly was. And I'll include my doctors in that as well, that I think that like, I came looking like someone who, you know, was doing okay. So how could I be as sick as I'm claiming to be? So I felt a little skepticism in that regard. And I felt like I always had to like prove to people and convince people that that's the best word I could use. I went into every situation, both doctor's appointments and my personal relationships, like ready to convince people that like what I was going through was very real and very debilitating. Mm, I, yeah, I think you're. that's such a great way of putting it was like you're selling that something is wrong here, convincing. And it's it's so hard because pain is such a subjective symptom. And if you look at great on the outside, it's really challenging to sell pain, especially when supposedly we have a high pain tolerance, you know, supposedly women. And, and it's just crazy to me. Um, the other thing I was curious of like in this journey too, was there ever moments where you really felt alone? Like you really felt like this was your silent struggle in a way. Yes and no. So I have a partner who's now my husband, who at the time was my boyfriend. And all of this started pretty much right when we met. So I've had someone with me who thankfully was just really supportive and wanted to understand everything he possibly could about what was going on with me and kind of was like my backup advocate for when I couldn't do it myself. So I was very lucky in that sense. But as far as like the rest of my life went, like I said, in like personal relationships and work, I did feel really alone. Like I went from working full time and being so capable to spending most of my time in bed. And I just felt like I couldn't relate to most of the people in my life anymore because my day-to-day had become so drastically different from everyone else's. Oh, absolutely. When you're in that level of pain and, and you, your life is disrupted. 
Absolutely. Like you really have to change it in order to work around your parameters of, of what you can tolerate. So I can imagine, yeah. Like, and I'm at sure 27, imagine what that was like socially. Like, you know, that was everybody's kind of carefree party phase. We're just like getting regular jobs for real money. And then here I am, like, I can't get, get out of bed most days, you know? Mm. I want to steer the conversation to, we see so much medical gas lighting happening to women, whether it's PCOS, whether it's just painful periods, but we especially see it in these more challenging, more challenging diagnoses. It's like of Hajimoto's thyroiditis or some type of autoimmune condition, and most definitely endometriosis, which we're beginning to see has some autoimmune traits to it as well. The medical system isn't necessarily identifying that yet, but we're really seeing that. And can you speak into how has that been advocating in that direction? And you know, what, what are you seeing in that realm as well? You know, it's been difficult because our research is so behind where patients are in recognizing their disease. And what I mean by that is we as patients are becoming more aware of the symptom profile of, like you said, these coexisting conditions that we have. I know so many people, so many women with endometriosis who have some type of autoimmune disease, but we don't have any literature to point to, to say that these things are fact and they're real. And so it's almost as if it's not happening because there's no studies or data to show that it is, but there are millions of women who are living this existence every day telling you, Hey, no, my main symptom is bowel issues. It's not pelvic pain. And, you know, these things that we're just ignoring because we don't have any clinical trials to show that, that this stuff is real. And that makes it really difficult then to get doctors on board because we don't have anything, like I said, in their eyes, that's valid. That's science for you. If there's no, if there's no study and there's no specific test to say, this is what it is, it's met with a lot of reluctance. And I think that's where endometriosis gets kind of stuck is that our research is so outdated and it's so behind and there's really nothing that is as validating on paper as the the patient's life experiences. I know that when it comes to endometriosis, there has been even money available for it, but there have been very few people grabbing at that money to go and do the research. That, yes. And most of the research that does get done is towards pharmaceutical. And, you know, I'm not anti-pharmaceutical. I am sitting here today due to drugs (laughs) that help me every day. But if that's our only focus, we're never going to get to the important questions like, why does this even happen to people? How did we get here? And I think starting from there will get us to a place where we're so much closer to cure than to just symptom management. Everything focuses on symptom management. Mm-hmm. Oh, always. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. That's, that's the name of the game for sure. But yeah, I just wanted to highlight, and I knew you were going to probably highlight as well of not only the, the non-existence of research, but also the, the non-existence of people picking up the research. I know that there has, like I said, there's been money available, but gosh, it's one of the areas where I forget what, what year it was. It was like in the 2010s where there was a substantial amount of money for endometriosis and it just wasn't grabbed up. Like people weren't doing the research. Yeah. And it's so disheartening because it's an area that's so ripe for a breakthrough. You know, it's been decades of no no real answers coming through. And I would love to know the barriers that are keeping researchers from wanting to tackle this disease specifically. Like it affects so much of our population. It kind of blows my mind that not many people are really interested in figuring it out. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. We talk a lot about that on this show. <laughs> what is the deal? Yeah. I'd love to, because I know that you and I both know, whether it's Hajimoto's or it's endometriosis, even PCOS, you know, we can get it, most of us can get things down to a manageable place, but there's no reversing these, at least not that we know of right now. And so I know that there are millions of women who are struggling with some level of, of autoimmune condition, you know, and piggybacking with endo on top of it, or they're dealing with another chronic condition. You know, what is some advice that you, knowing that you are in this, you know, beautiful long journey in every day, navigating it to the best of your ability, what are some recommendations and advice that you can give to people who are also struggling, especially women struggling with chronic illness and trying to really find the silver lining in it all? Yeah, I I love that question because it it can become really hard to find a silver lining when your day is and is pretty much hijacked by whatever this disease might be causing for you, whether it's mental issues or physical. It's really hard to kind of distract yourself from that. I am someone who likes to see how I can find gratitude through every moment that I am going through, whether it's difficult or or not. And what I mean by that is I don't subscribe to the toxic positivity culture of just think positive, no bad vibes, like it could be worse. I fully believe in acknowledging and recognizing that like, yeah, this sucks and it is crappy. And even with all that, how can I still find happiness or joy in my life? Are there things that I can take up, hobbies that I can take up that don't require, you know, the physical or mental strain that I used to be able to do that might be fun for me now? Just kind of this reevaluating of like what your new normal looks like and trying to find a way to still live life as fully as you can. Like for me, I took up writing because that was something that I could do from my bed, no matter how poorly my body felt. And I think that if we give ourselves the opportunity to kind of just dig a little deeper and really search for like, what are my interests outside of what my body is able to do, we might be surprised at what we find joy in. Absolutely. Well, and I think purpose too. I mm-hmm. think, especially when we're stuck with a chronic condition, sometimes something needs to be bigger than ourselves. Um, at least I, I have found that to be the case for myself. I've, I've had severe chronic fatigue issues. I have Hajimoto's thyroiditis. And so, yeah, I've, there's a lot of things I've just shifted and tailored mm-hmm. <laughs> to, you know, to, and I, I always find, at least for me, having a purpose that's bigger than myself motivates me no matter what kind of day I'm having or what kind of struggles I'm having to like do the best I can for myself. And I don't know if that's been the case for you. That's me to a T. I am someone who looks for purpose in every situation. My faith has a lot to do with that. And for other people, it might be something else that's a motivation for them. But I believe that I was dealt this hand to help other people in any way and every way that I can. And so if that means just making one person say a little bit easier by being raw and honest and sharing my journey, then I feel like a lot of good has come out of all of this. Oh, that's so powerful. I love that. I, lo- I love that that's just kind of your common like denominator, the, your, the where you operate from. And then purpose is one thing, but also having mental and emotional resources, that resiliency for coping with chronic uh, chronic illness, di- not even just a diagnosis, but then, you know, once you get that diagnosis, what does it look like in, you know, in that long run span? What has worked for you? you know, those, those days that you were in bed, those days that you, it was, it was just so painful, you weren't able to get out of bed 
good. And, and you're thinking to yourself, like, oh my gosh, like how long is this going to be? What were some of the things that you tapped into to really help you besides your faith? I know that was probably a very powerful one. Yeah. So as far as resources go, mental health resources, I see a therapist still to this day. I feel like there's just such a burden of life with chronic illness. Having someone to just kind of digest it all with is just really important and helpful journaling was really, really integral for me. So I wasn't in my head with all these thoughts. (laughs) And then really honestly, just taking it one day at a time. It is so easy to say what is next month, next year, or whatever look like. But when I found that I was able to just say, I'm just going to do my best today and get through this day the best that I can. It took a bit of pressure off of me. And I can say with confidence that I've made it through every day. It may not have been a great day, but I've made it to the next day. And I think as long as I can keep saying that and keep showing up and just trying to get to the next day, it feels less overwhelming. Hmm. And in this healing journey, what, you know, when we're looking, we're thinking about the physiology of things and the, the recommendations and the lifestyle that we've used to, to kind of help just improve our overall cellular function, that's a part of it. But how much of the emotional and mental resources or, or lifestyle has, has played a role in this healing journey of yours? It's played a huge role for me. So last May, I was actually diagnosed with lupus. And that came for me out of nowhere. But in looking back, there were definitely tricklings of it a few years before I got the actual diagnosis. And like you said, we're seeing this association between endometriosis and autoimmune diseases. And I very much do think that there was that endo ruined my body and gave it prime opportunity for something like this to come in and take over. And I had to reevaluate how I was living my life because stress is a major trigger for me with my lupus symptoms. And so what did that look like? It meant scaling back dramatically. I cut my hours at work. I was supposed to start a grad school program and I delayed it to next year to give myself just some time to wrap my head around all this. It meant not pouring myself into things that drained more energy for me than I could require. So it took like an assessment of my relationships, of you know the things that I was letting cause stress in my life that I didn't have the space for anymore. And so with that also came diet changes and lifestyle changes of like making time for rest and downtime. It really was this complete like shift of, okay, what in my life right now is not serving me in the best way to deal with this diagnosis and recover and decrease stress and decrease inflammation. And I looked at every area, like I said, diet, lifestyle, relationships, responsibilities. And it's tough to have to start saying no to things that you really want to say yes to and be at, but keeping it in the forefront of my mind that like, this is best for me in the long term, that my whole self can't be whole unless I really make space for the things that are going to help me heal right now was so helpful for me in making kind of this transformative change in my life again. <laughs> again, yeah. Oh, wow. That's a, a double diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I can imagine as you're like, okay, I've got this journey. I kind of got this under control. And then this next diagnosis comes in. And yeah, it's it's definitely a reevaluation. And I was thinking in the last year, um, especially with the lupus 
diagnosis and and making some pretty important key changes. How has that felt for you? Like, has it felt, because there's always a grieving piece to this, right? Always. But has shifting the way that you operate in life and shifting the way that you're reducing stress, have you found some, I want to say positives, but like, have there been like a silver lining to that? Like, has it in in some ways, has it felt good to kind of let go of some of the stuff that maybe necessarily wasn't serving you, but you were able to do it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's left room and space for more things that I enjoy and like to do. It's allowed me to feel a lot more present as well, because I'm, I don't have like this narrative in the back of my head of things that I'm like dreading or not looking forward to, or on my to-do list that I don't really want to do. I don't have really much of that anymore. Everything that's on my to-do list is stuff that I actually want to do and that I reserved time, space, and energy for like being here today. Um, and and knowing, you know, that my yeses really mean yes. And my nos really mean no lets me feel like I'm living my life with such intention and that the people in my life can feel that I, when I'm there, I'm fully there. And it's because I want to be there. And that feels really good. Mm. You know, when I was, as I was trying to formulate the way I wanted to say that, that was, yeah, it was that flavor of like, now I'm doing the things that I really love and the anxiousness and they got to do and the go, go, go and the rushing to one thing to the next. And, you know, thinking about the future next thing, it kind of sometimes when you just let that go, it can feel so freeing. And yeah, and what's a full body yes versus a full body no, like you get such clarity on on that when your body's just like, no girl, you need to get clear. You know? <laughs> yes. It's funny because I look back at things I'd say yes to and I'm like, oh my God, like I don't even enjoy that. Like I don't even enjoy this person. Like what am I doing? Why did I say yes? Because <laughs> yeah. I have the energy for it, I guess. But right. yeah, no, like, and there's some, there's a blessing in that to some degree, you know, of like, oh, I get to get real clear about what serves me and what doesn't. And there's, you know, there's a hope for me that we all get to get there no matter where we're at in our life. And even in this last year with lupus too, because of all the changes that you've made, has this journey felt, I mean, it's not an easy journey no matter what, but like have the flare-ups been okay? Have, Have you been able to manage them? You feel like a little bit better. This one's been, I will admit, the toughest of the things that I've worked through physically in that it's just so unpredictable. Like with endo, I was just always in pain. So I kind of learned how to operate in that state. This is such a bag of tricks. Like one day I'm great. The next day I'm not. And I'm trying to pinpoint like, what did I do? Did I spend too much time in the sun? Was it something I ate? You know, was work too intense? It feels like it doesn't take a whole lot to rock the boat. And that's the part that I'm having a hard time navigating because it's making it difficult for me to like plan ahead and, and commit to things because I really truly never know what the next day is going to look like. I'm in that trial and error phase of treatment. So that part's a little bit frustrating, trying to find the right drug for me with the least amount of side effects. So I'm trying really hard to give myself some grace with this one because it is so new and it isn't something I'm very familiar with. And I ultimately do believe I'm going to get to a place where I am more on autopilot and things are a little more stable, but I'm not quite there yet. And that is a little bit frustrating. I just so appreciate your honesty in that journey. Um, I know that lupus, yeah, it, it's a wily autoimmune condition and it's like the immune system can just turn on a dime. Yeah. So Absolutely. I so appreciate you sharing that. And I know that you are about to be in a documentary that's going to release... I'd love to just hear a little bit, at least, well, at least we've got a documentary 
um, that's coming out about endometriosis. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? One like, win. <laughs> <laughs> so talk talk to me a little bit about below the belt, and I bet this was a, a project that you were really excited about. Yes, I would have been. <laughs> I'm very excited about this project. So below the belt is um, a film that is coming out about endometriosis next year. There's private screenings happening throughout this year. That is uh, produced by a filmmaker named Shannon Cohn, who also has endometriosis herself. Um, she had a debut film called Endo What, and this is the follow-up film to that. And the idea of this film was to look at endometriosis from more of a social justice aspect mm. and how it affects you know, our economy and just all of the areas that we ignore because of diseases that primarily affect women. That's ultimately what it comes down to, if we're being real (laughs) about why we have the problems that we have. And so it follows myself and three other women in their journey over the span of a decade. So you really do see over time, the obstacles that we all face that are really different, but at the end of the day, all really similar. I think it's a powerful film in that it really gives you a front seat to what the day-to-day looks like for people like me that suffered. I was really excited when I was asked to be a part of it because I think that it's one thing to say what pain is and what it feels like. It's a whole nother thing to see it. And even myself, I was kind of taken aback when I saw it for the first time and like rewatched what I lived through. And I'm like, oh my God, like how did I make it through that? And so I think that unless you don't have a heart, (laughs) I think this movie is going to speak to honestly anyone that watches it because it really makes, it breaks the disease down to a personal level. Like you feel like, you know, these people and you're rooting for them and you're struggling with them. And I don't think we've ever had anything like that yet to do that for us. So I'm just really pumped for the world to see it. Mm, I just got chills just thinking about what this movie is going to bring, what this documentary is going to bring. You know, I've had I've had experts on endometriosis on the show, and we talk about diagnosis. We talk about the most common and least common symptoms. We talk about what are the most cutting edge ways in which we treat that. What does it look like on the back end of surgery? You know, we just get into like the nitty gritty, but we don't talk about the the, the social construct of it. We don't talk about the impact it's having on women in their lives and their relationships and how how we continue to fail women in yeah. this in this area and the in the duration and the length what is it an average of i was 7 to 10 years of an yeah. average diagnosis like just have someone in pain for for almost a decade before yeah. they are believed that they're actually having this experience is just mind blowing mm-hmm. to me just yeah. and devastating as you know i love so- that you that you said that we always approach it on the clinical level signs and symptoms and treatments And we forget the human side of it. Like this is a person that is existing this way. And I say existing because when your life is ruined and being basically driven by pain, it's not really a life. You're you're just existing at that point. And, And we forget that there's that human side to it. And so I love that you brought that up that like, it's not just clinical, like these are people's lives, you know, at the end of the day. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think about one of the most pervasive myths of endometriosis in terms of treatment for many, many decades was pregnancy, was just get pregnant. That will fix all of this. I mean, and I think that there's a pervasive feeling and sense of that that still exists that isn't talked about, you know, but that, but it is, that is there. Absolutely. People are still being told that. I get DMs from women all the time telling me they're still being told that. And just think about what that says. You're telling someone who is in crippling pain that the solution is to bring a child into the world 
that they may or may not be able to care for once it's here because of the crippling pain that will pursue or could pursue after like that. I just can't wrap my mind around how that makes sense oh, as a recommendation. Any... No, no. <laughs> well, cause it doesn't go away after you have that baby, right. you right. know, so and then what? So now I have a baby and I'm in pain. So now, now I've got it. Yes, yeah. exactly. No, it's mind blowing. But I, I just, I just, I, I know that I hear that and I, you know, it's, it's crazy how these crazy pervasive, just this horrible, bad advice has just continues to come through, you know, it's decade after decade. And, um, and so I just wanted to just spotlight that for a second of this being one of the, one of the many reasons why this just continues to get ignored. Mm-hmm. So many myths. <laughs> yeah. So many myths. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Are there any other myths that you would love to take a moment to just uncover for us? Is there something that feels really called? Yeah. Yeah. That hysterectomy is a cure. That is a big one. It breaks my heart. The number of unnecessary hysterectomies that I see women undergo thinking that it is going to be the answer to their pain. And it, it is not, and it never will be. And if you happen to get some relief from it, great, but it's not the cure for endometriosis. And so many people are led to believe that. And then also this idea that it's just pelvic pain. So this dismissal of symptoms, because you don't have excruciatingly painful periods every single month. It's so much more than that. It's a full body disease. So the fact that it affects wherever the endo implants end up being is going to dictate symptoms. So it's not just period pain and it's not just during your period. Most of us end up having pain every day once the disease advances. And so I I think we miss a lot of diagnosis by sticking to this very rigid criteria of what does endometriosis look like? Like for me, I didn't even have painful periods. I had right upper stomach pain because it was in my diaphragm. So no one was thinking endometriosis for me, even though it was lining up with my period. So I think getting out of that box of period pain being the only symptom and the main symptom would help us so, so much. And then the third one, which is so important is that it doesn't affect young girls. There are so many young girls that are just being completely missed because they're told they're too young to have endometriosis. And that's not true. It can affect people before menstruation. And so again, this is this population of patients that we're just completely missing because of this rigid idea of what age someone with endometriosis should be. Thanks for sharing it. One of my best friends had a full hysterectomy at 29 because of endometriosis and it's come back. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That one really I struggle with because I feel like in medicine, we're fairly smart in, in our definitions and making them make, make sense as far as treatment goes. But that one, I, I just can't wrap my mind around how we got to hysterectomy being a treatment and that like endo is defined as being outside of the uterus. So like, why would removing the uterus treat the disease? And I'm like, am I, am I crazy? <laughs> it's, you know, like, again, what? it's, it's yeah. that pervasiveness of back mm-hmm. in the day in the history where you've got this wandering womb yep. that made you crazy. It's gotta mm-hmm. be the reason for all things bad. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like just take it out. And yeah. so I think that's what it is. It's just, we've been hysteria. We just mm-hmm. keep bringing this, what we love to believe is a myth that's gone. Mm-hmm. That's that's the first solution. You've got fibroids, take it out. you got, you know, you've got, you yeah. know, severe, you've got, oh, we see that you've got endo, take it out. Like it's severe perimenopause, let's remove it. it it's, a, you know, for far less reasons, you know, a hysterectomy is still, it's, it's the, it's the second surgery in women, as you know. And it's the a first big one is surgery. Pregnancy. I hate that we talk about it so willy-nilly, like we're mm-hmm. talking about taking a tooth out. Like it is a major a huge organ and there's a lot that comes with that. I had a, I had a hysterectomy for adenomyosis 
And it was one of the most difficult recoveries that I've had. Like my body had to get used to an organ that used to be there not being there anymore. And there was a lot that needed to shift and readjust for that. And so this idea that we're just telling people nonchalantly to, to do this with the hopes that maybe, maybe it'll help. is kind of cruel to me, honestly. Well, especially when you're talking about a hysterectomy before menopause, where mm-hmm. your ovaries, I don't know if it was a complete, even if it wasn't a, if it wasn't a complete and they're still there still, we, we know that there's a major disconnect and we run on a cycle. We yes. run on a cycle with hormones. Our brain runs on a cycle with hormones. Our metabolism runs on a cycle with hormones. And we, we, if, you know, we take that away. It is so hard to get re-regulated, you Absolutely. know, not just the physical recovery of a big surgery like that, but the sex hormones, the repercussion of all of that, how that's interconnected. And we still don't know the vastness of how they're communicating with practically every single cell in the body. No. And what I learned too, is that being, I was 29 when I had mine as well. And I had, I kept my ovaries, but I had that hormone disruption that you're talking about. I mean, you know, the uterus supplies 20% of blood flow to the ovaries. So there's going to be some disruption and no one could figure it out because all the doctors I was seeing was used to seeing women that went through natural menopause or natural perimenopause, but mine was surgical, but I still had ovaries. And it was just so confusing to them because my labs look good, but I'm telling you all of these menopause like symptoms. And so many women who have had hysterectomies at young age are in the same boat as me that they don't fall into that boat of just needing hormone replacement because they still have ovaries. They just don't work as reliably. So what do you do with us? So we've come up with a solution, right? To treat patients like me at our age, but we've completely ignored what that long-term impact is going to be and kind of just leave them to figure it out on their own. That's exactly what it is. We just leave them to figure it out on their own. And any woman who has even a partial before menopause is going to need hormone, it's going to be need bioidentical hormone replacement. Your body relies on it. They relies on estrogen and testosterone and progesterone. Like we rely on these things, these important hormones. And we, that I feel like we, we, we have absolutely failed in this department in particular, especially if we say, oh, your ovaries are still there, but they're not working. They're not, they're not, (laughs) (laughs) they're like, what just happened? (laughs) There's the, 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 uh, the better half of me is gone. Like, you <laughs> yeah. know, like there's a hard part of me that isn't here anymore and I don't know what to right. do. Like, the, oh, well, they're, they're still in there. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, we just, at this point, they're just, they're just there for show. You know? <laughs> They've got a little bit of output, but not nowhere near what they had. Mm-hmm. And we have to, I can't, I, women reach out to me every day and they're like, my doctors tell me it's going to be just fine. I don't need hormones at all. And I'm like, mm-hmm. how are you feeling there? I feel horrible. Like this is no, I am, it's a, I am a completely different woman now than who I was you know, a month ago, three months ago, five months ago, yeah. um, a year ago. And so, yeah, I'm so grateful we're having this conversation. We, we just, we have to do better. Absolutely. And I think these conversations are important too, so that patients can go into these surgeries informed. Like I, I needed to have my, my hysterectomy. My adenomyosis was out of control. I knew that that was the only option for me, but I wish I had just been better prepared in what to expect from a hormone perspective. So I think the more conversations like the one you and I are having, so people don't just go in so blind is is the better. 100%, 100%, especially at 30 or 29. That's a lot of years to Mm -hmm. have to, those hormones were going to be running the show for a long time, Mm -hmm. you know, well over a decade. 
well over two decades. I'm so sorry. Yeah, well over two decades, you know, that they're still hanging on and doing their thing. And so, yeah, we've got to have a better comprehensive plan for women who, yes, it is a necess- it's a necessity at that point. And especially with the, the level of pain and discomfort that you are dealing with and bleeding. But yeah, we got we to gotta do better. In terms yeah. of, and, and we, and it's more research than anything else. We got to understand like, what does that dosage look like? How are we t- uh, titrating that? How often are we looking at these labs? Mm-hmm. You know, all of these things. So I so appreciate you really uncovering some of the biggest, most pervasive myths with endometriosis. Also, especially with the young girls, like missed and missed and missed and missed mm-hmm. all the time. Okay. Where else can we find you, my dear? I know we're going to check out the documentary once it comes out. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on Instagram at lifeabove underscore illness. Um, I just published a book that's a resource for people with chronic illnesses called Part of You, Not All of You, Shared Wisdom and Guided Journaling for Life with Chronic Illness. And you can also find me online at the Endometriosis Coalition, which is the nonprofit that I started to raise awareness for endo. Mm. Look at you doing. (laughs) I'm trying. Love it. Well, we'll have all of that in the show notes. And I really, really want to point people to your book. So we're going to, I'll make sure I have the links for all of that. You probably can get on Amazon and probably everywhere books are sold, but we'll make sure that we'll have the link directly to the book. Um, And I just want to say, so thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for your vulnerability, your truth, your advocacy, even, I mean, even with this documentary, the, the commitment of allowing them to share your story. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me and just having a space like this that we can talk so openly and in a safe space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. My pleasure. I am feeling so much gratitude for Jenna for committing her life to advocating for so many women and for coming on the show to share her truth. Like me, I bet you have a friend or even family member who has been diagnosed with endometriosis or an autoimmune condition and is possibly suffering needlessly because they keep getting gaslit by their doctors and the medical system. Or maybe you know someone who is in a lot of pain but still don't have answers for why they are struggling. If that person is on your mind right now, take a moment and share this conversation by taking a screenshot or sending a text with a link. And also consider sharing Jenna's book, her newest book, Part of You, Not All of You, which is shared wisdom and guided journaling for a life with chronic illness which I love so much. I know she talked about her own journey and how journaling was very much a powerful tool for her to overcome some of her biggest diagnoses, her biggest journeys when she's been struggling the most. Now, this book is for anyone struggling with a chronic condition or looking for a powerful resource to support them through their difficult days. I'm going to have the book in the show notes for this episode, but you can also find it at jennareesh.com. I definitely highly recommend you go and check it out. And as always, thank you so much for listening in to the Essentially You podcast. The show is about providing tools to rock your hormones and feel amazing in your body. Now, again, if there's someone in your life that needs to hear this today, to hear Jenna's message, take a moment, screenshot the episode and send it on over to them or share it on social. That way we continue to spread the word about hormone literacy. And if you do share it on social, hashtag hormone CEO. Until the next episode, see you soon.